Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. I'm your host, Brian C. Adams. Tune in weekly to hear from top industry leaders as we discuss relevant topics in the world of business, investing, health and wellness, geopolitics, and more. To learn more about the show, visit excelsiorgp.com slash podcast. Hello and welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. I'm with Todd Gerritsen. Todd provides specialty business advisory services for family-owned and privately held organizations in the areas of strategic growth, high-performance culture building, leadership and team development, and family business exit transition. Prior to his advisory practice, Todd spent 20 plus years in a number of corporate leadership roles at companies such as Newell Rubbermaid and Hunter Douglas, as well as having been a third generation owner and family executive of a mid-sized manufacturing business. Todd, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited because we're going to get into engagement, culture building, and then also this exit transition part of it, which we haven't really touched on a lot on the show. So I'm you know, pretty excited to focus more on that. But before we get into all of it, we'd love to get a little bit more background on yourself and your business. Yeah, great to be with you, Brian. Appreciate the invite and excited to share all that we, we have in store here on the culture side. A uh, little background on me. I actually cut my teeth in the family business world. So grew up in a family business alongside my dad and my brother and really lived family business on the front lines. We ate, literally sleep, all family business. So I have a real, real good feel for that space and love working with family businesses. We eventually sold that business. It was a large manufacturing business, 75 million. We sold the business and eventually found my way to a leadership role in strategy with no rubber made based out of Atlanta, I relocated down to Atlanta and have been here ever since. And approximately 12 years ago, started my own practice. I took my passion for strategy and culture and 
brought it back to the family business world in that way. And have been working close with closely held businesses, publicly held businesses, founder run, family owned organizations ever since and have enjoyed every minute of it. And so those are my, this is a little bit of the background, which I can touch on as we meander conversation, but have always been around leadership roles and in leadership roles and just a real key passion for strategy. Well, it's always helpful, I think, when you yourself have been a multi-generational business owner and also experienced an exit. A lot of folks in the consulting world come out of these big firms with huge layers of bureaucracy, but there's something so intimate about being in not just the boardroom, but around the kitchen table when these conversations are happening about how to grow the company, whether to sell, preparing for that sale and exit, both emotionally, mentally, and from a business perspective. So I think your perspective is a strong one. I love your website. They've got these really cool stats that I want to use as a launching pad for talking points. This one on organizational strategy and planning from Gallup says that only 22% of employees agree that their leaders have a clear direction for their organization. Would you agree with that statistic based on your own lived experience? Yeah, it's still very true. Uh, today, those statistics have improved maybe only a little bit in the last Gallup uh, survey that was put out. But a lot of times we lead off our strategy events, retreats, and workshops with that exact statistic, Brian. And when I look at the, the show of hands in the room, it's amazing, especially with, and we'll say the, the divide that exists between the executive team and the rest of the organization. And that's typically where we see that breakdown is while the executive team may get to a point of alignment on strategy and direction moving forward, a lot of times it doesn't get communicated well enough. Or what we'll say, one of the phrases we like to say is committed to, right? Where we actually have people within the organization taking ownership of that strategy. And that's a whole different level of execution. We see a lot of organizations really fail in that regard. And then a lot of times too, this is due to lack of alignment that exists at the executive so that statistic speaks to the fact that sometimes there's underlying content that exists with executive members that hasn't been addressed, creates this lack of trust to treat each other. And while they somewhat agree with the strategy, they're so strong in advocating their position that they can't see their way through it. And a lot of times this is what can break teams and cause performance to really suck. And so this is part of a cultural challenge that has to happen alongside the strategy and ensuring that those things are really working well together. So we spend a lot of time on culture at the same time that we're into strategy and working through what we'll call strategic planning session. Yeah. And I think obviously this is particularly acute if not only do you have disagreement within the operating company, but you also happen to be cousins or yes. father, son, or mother, daughter, or et cetera, et cetera. When those dynamics take on a whole another life of their own outside of the office to get a little bit more specific or granular yeah. 
what is the work like how do you help break maybe break down some of those barriers rebuild some of those cultures and be able to put that business back on a right footing yeah i love it one of the things when we think about culture one of the things i like to say and just start with is the idea that wherever people gather whether it be in a whether it be your family whether it be an organization could be a community group, wherever people are gathering, there's a culture that's forming. And we know that culture is either going to be by design or it's going to be by default. And most of the time, we don't have leaders stepping back to say, what is the intentional design that we want to put into this culture? How do we want this place to feel? How do we want to be when we come together? When we have conversations together, when we meet together, when we discuss these important topics, what do we want it to be like? Because if we're not intentional about it, it takes a life of its own. And then sometimes we as leaders sit back, gosh, a year or two years later, and we say, whoa, what happened here? And the same thing through the families. We see all the time our families. It's something as simple as just over one another, right? And interrupting one another, just a communication principle that simple could be something that throws families off and allows them to not have productive conversation and not be able to come together and agree on certain things or know how to disagree, but come together on common points, right? And move forward. This culture is, it's hard work right? It's intent. It's intentional. You have to really sit back and design it. And the way we do that is with purpose and values. We spend a lot of time unpacking two areas, both in organizations and in families. And so we like to say purpose is at its deepest level. It's the motivational, it's the motivational drive that I have to do what I do and why for a family, we why stay together? At the end of the day, we want families to stay together. Most businesses, the statistic is that 12% of family businesses make it to the third generation. And one of the big reasons why that happens is because families get larger. They disperse more geographically. They start to have diverse perspectives and viewpoints. And before you know it, they can't align or agree on anything. So it's just easier to exit. It's just easier to stop there and not turn it into a multi-generational family enterprise. And so the intentional work of stepping back to understand, okay, what is the glue that's us together? How do we want to define that right now for the current generation? And how do we want to define it for the next generation when we come up? Because at the end of the day, that's what's at stake. It's the next generation and what we're building for them. In family culture, we talk a lot about Chick-fil-A is a great example of a family that has a really intact view, culture, and deeply held values that drive and thread through the business. They don't show up exactly the way they do in a family, but the values, influence, right into the business. And so one of the things we see, obviously, Chick-fil-A's are closed on Sundays. We know why. We know that the, the family has a strong set of Christian values as they aspire to. 
there's a great story about the, if you've ever been in a Chick-fil-A, one of the things you'll hear quite frequently at the end of your experience is my pleasure or any requests that's asked. Those two words are what we call the signature move of Chick-fil-A. Whether you go into a Chick-fil-A in Atlanta, whether you go into one in, in Nashville, or whether you go into one in Seattle, the same They've been able to build that culture and scale it. So one of the neat things behind that is it actually came from the biblical verse, Matthew 5, 41, which is whoever compels you to go one mile, go with them too. And so they designed this entire extra mile culture around that verse and the values that's in the family and how they wanted it to show up in the business. And so the founder was the composer, if you will, and the current torch carrier, the CEO, and this is true of any business, right? Is the conductor and they have to get all those instruments playing together in the same way that brings that to light, whether we're talking about a location here or whether talking on a press. And so it's those things that we see being so powerful when we bring families and businesses together. And if we can get that song and that singing together makes a big. Yeah. I love that story about Chick-fil-A. I'm not sure what the numbers are, but I think it's, they get over a hundred thousand applications for every new footprint they open and very rigorous to be able to qualify to be a, a franchisee. And there's something to be said about, I love this concept of by design or by default. And the ironic thing is, to your point about these families who decide to exit, the three-generation adage that we've all heard, what I found is it's even harder to maintain value once you're a purely financial family because there's really no glue to keep everyone together because the operating company and that story has gone away along with that founding generation or operating generation. And so it's almost... The antithesis of what you're hoping to achieve accelerates when that liquidity event occurs. That is so true. We'll sometimes call when you say financial families, we'll say families of wealth or business families. And the families of wealth will oftentimes find different philanthropic initiatives that they can rally around, which in some cases ignite. If they're able to ignite the desires and passions of what we call the human capital, inside of families, large families, because there's so much of that that's untapped and that's spilled out. And without outside influence, with somebody who can come in and facilitate to be a consultant, family business consultant, or a consultant next to a family of wealth, it's hard to really surface that and bring that out. So much of the attention goes to the patriarch and matriarch. What do they want? How do they want to drive things? How do they want to create things? And so creating a culture where we get all voices at the table, right? Even though I may not have a vote, I get my voice at the table and we're able to understand the desires and wishes of that. But you're absolutely right. And that story is gone. When that reason for being together is gone, we'll call it the family business, the golden goose, the operating. So what is it? What's the glue that will keep us coming together? It's interesting. We talk about creating the kind of culture where my family wants to be together, even when they no longer. 
right? So when they're growing up and they're young, right? We can take them to grandpa's. We can take them to their cousins. And we, we're in control of that as parents. But at some point, they get to an age where they're in control. And are they going to make a decision that this is a place I want to be, right? I want to come back and be with my family. Or when I'm in control, am I just going to, is there going to be a divide? Am I going to spread my wings and go a different direction? They can't always control that. But we would say that really having uh, purpose and values and having some traditions and being able to pull some of that legacy forward in the next generation really important because it's their identity. Yeah, I've often heard it referred to as whether or not your adult children come to Thanksgiving or whatever the proxy is. But once they're the over the age of majority and they have their own assets and money and car, yes. are they going to show back up? And at that point, the money is irrelevant. Yes, absolutely. It's One of the things we do with families early on is the idea of creating being together principles. What are some of the common, when you study the highest performing teams um, and families, one of the things that they share is the idea of a code of conduct. They have some expectations of each other that they can agree on. And one of those that we see that's really powerful is the idea that we're curious with each other. We're asking questions of each other. We're getting to understand people. We have a really hard time as society in general doing this. We want to advocate for our positions instead of inquiring and learning and really showing interest to others. And it shuts down communication. And then there's this idea of really unresolved conflict. And what's counterintuitive here is that we unresolved conflict is the number one enemy of high-performing TAs and families. So we think intuitively that it's easier and better to just sweep conflict under the rug. But what happens over time is we see this building of resentment between family members to the point where they can no longer see eye to eye and no longer communicating well. And sometimes they can be in the same home, the same, they can't go on a family vacation together. And so trying to bring some of those walls down early on is really important because when we get into conversations that involve purchases, do we sell families? Do we sell family late costs? Do we sell risk? Do we sell having all voices is important and it's hard to do that when there's a lot of rest. Yeah, I've used the term often that your happiness is one difficult conversation away. Yeah. Nobody wants to have that conversation. No, absolutely. Absolutely. This idea of creating in organizations a purpose, I'll just go back to that for a minute. Something that motivates you beyond. So the idea is you're out there and you're building an organization. At the end of the, at the, end of the day, do you want your people saying, no, I'm happy here? Or do you want them to say, I love it here? And there's a real difference between those two. One of the statistics here recently that came out is essentially that only two in 10 employees feel connected to their organization's culture. 
So there's this disconnect that's, that's happening. Some of that is showing up in retention, slower moving, we'll call slower moving projects, lower customer satisfaction. You could see any number of tools that are being used to service this. Some of it is tied to more remote, right? More remote employees pulling away from culture. So as we have people who are not together face-to-face and they're getting to know each other, they're not feeling known, right? They're feeling less to know. And so only 23% of U.S. employees, this is another great statistic, strongly agree that they trust the leadership of their organization. And so this is another divide that we're really trying to close, a gap that we're trying to close with organizations, Brian, this idea that the intentional work that you do as a leadership team, you're responsible for crafting, cultivating, and protecting culture of the organization. And it helps to drive strategy, right? So without those two things working together, there's often this quote that I'll hear that people will say is culture and strategy. It wasn't actually ever said. It was an embellishment on something that was said, but it both working. And there's so many examples of this. There's examples of, if we have a strategy to innovate, in an organization, we want to create an innovative culture, but in meetings as the CEO or as an executive team, I have a habit of shutting down ideas. That culture is not going to be real innovative for very long. If I want a strong collaborative environment where I have teams that are working really well and delivering a lot of new products into the market and try and get voices as the leader into the room when I ask for an opinion, I'm probably going to hold my opinion until the end, until I've heard everybody else's. And so there's certainly leadership signals that we really work with organizations that ride culture. And sometimes we're unintentionally, without knowing, moving the organization in the wrong direction culturally than what our strategy is saying. And so when we get this divide or we get those things working in opposite directions, they're pulling one another. And what we try to do is get them insane. And this is not just teeing you up, but I truly believe it. Why it's really important to have independent board members and third-party consultants come in because oftentimes we become really myopic. When you're in the trenches day-to-day and you're trying to get a deliverable out the door or you're trying to sell 10 more widgets this month or this quarter than last quarter, it's very hard to have that perspective. And so I think that's why groups like yours and firms like yours serve a really important function with this within this ecosystem. And I think there seems to be a larger consciousness and acceptance and knowledge base of this within the next generation that we need these third-party professionals to come in and help. Have you experienced that as well? Absolutely. Especially as it when we look at family businesses and businesses in particular that are really close to transition, and there's a lot of them right now, right? Because of the state we're in with the boomer generation and the passing of the torque. And the trick is, how do I pass the torque and pull legacy forward, but still make space for innovation next generation? And it's a real challenge culturally. 
because you're talking about a culture of old, right? And probably needing to make some small shifts to culture in terms of what kinds of change you want to create moving forward. And that's where the growth is in the multi-generational space. So a lot of that next gen audience is coming forward saying, we need help. Mom and dad um, have done a tremendous job, right? Yeah, building this business. And we're getting really close to this transition and we need to do more intentional work. We need to align a little bit more because they've done a great job to build this business entrepreneurial, but now it's time to professionalize. It's time to build infrastructure. And so starting to step back and say, okay, let's redefine, let's really look at why you exist today, where you want to go in the future and values you think are going to be important to pull forward and the values you're going to need and how you want those behaviors and beliefs to come together because ultimately it's the mismatch between those beliefs and behaviors that causes cultures all part. Exceptional family offices, family enterprises, wealth management, and financial services organizations require superior leadership to successfully thrive in today's competitive environment. Building a team of talented leaders is a complex challenge that is best accomplished in partnership with a firm that offers a proven track record of success, which is why I'd like to introduce you to our new sponsor, Mac International. Mac International is recognized as the premier boutique firm that specializes in providing retained executive search and strategic human capital consulting solutions to single and multi-client family offices, family enterprises, and the full spectrum of wealth management advisory, investment management, and financial services firms that serve ultra-high net private investors and family offices on a national and international basis. If you're interested in learning more about Mac International, visit their website at macinternational.com. Yeah, you've got another great stat on the website. This is from PwC. Family businesses with 10% plus growth, 84% have a clear sense of agreed to values and purpose as a roadmap for their culture, which is just a a crazy correlation. And I think if you were to talk to small and medium-sized family-owned businesses and probably go beyond the C-suite or the matriarch patriarch and ask them, like what the shared values are, what, what the roadmap is, it's probably a lot of blank stares, I, I would think. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. This statistic is that one in four U.S. employees actually agree that they can apply their organization's values to their work. And so part of what we do with family businesses is not only the crafting and creating and the implementing of the values, it's actually how we embed them into the life of the organization. How do they show up in the process? How do they show up in the expectations that I have to people I lead? How do they show up in how we hire or how we promote? All the decisions we make should be coming back to a core set of values. And a lot of times we see organizations, family businesses that will come and say, we're so slow in decision-making. Um, or we're struggling to make decisions. It feels like nobody knows what the other is doing. The left doesn't know what the right is doing. Or we're stepping on each other's toes. And there's clear decision-making rights. And there's no values or driving values in which they make this decision. 
And so a lot of times with the backup, we do some of that work and it helps to paint a picture for what that culture needs to look like. And a lot of that, that decision-making challenge can be worked out over time. Well, and I'm sure you're seeing this amongst your client base, but we're entering into, you alluded to at this massive transition between boomer to whatever we want to call it, millennial, Gen Z, et cetera. But the challenge is there just aren't enough, like I'm a millennial, there aren't enough of us to fill all the spots. And so you really need to be intentional. I think you need to be intentional about leadership development internally because you're not going to be able to go to the market and just bring somebody over because there just aren't enough of us in our 40s to fill those positions that are exiting at an exponential rate, it seems like right now. Yeah, absolutely, Brian. There's four. We, when we think about succession in family businesses, one of the common misnomers, and you're obviously aware of this, but just thinking about the audience and how they're processing and how this is landing with them today, a lot of times we think of succession or transition as a one-term event, right? It's, it's that liquidity event where the transaction. So much of this succession planning is a journey. It's a multi-year journey, right? To your point. And it's like, um, we almost draw the visual of a rope and the rope has four strands to it. And the strands are strategy, culture, governance, and next generation leadership. And what we try to do is pull all those strands at the same time in a multi-year process where we can help families prepare for that event way in advance. And to your point, one of the, the, the spots that we spend a lot of time in is the next generation. Um, really involving better sooner. The sooner they get involved, better. No matter where and what stage they're in, but involving them in family business and starting to understand their desires and where they want. And then we do it in the business because so many businesses lack the management succession or any leadership development strategy in order to get leaders prepared for that next seat. Everything from preparing them on how to manage people who understand how to get feedback, how to receive feedback, how to get feedback. There's so much that goes into that, and it's a long drip process to develop. We don't come out of college ready to lead large groups of people. We come out of college with some really good book knowledge, right? Out of university, we're not taught how to relate to motivate inspire people. That's something we have to learn over time. And laying out a process to do that is really important. Not only in the business, but in the family. Family is absolutely critical because so much of the success they see in families and family businesses is tied to one person. And we want to distribute or create capacity in more members of the family to carry that through forward. Yeah, and this probably goes beyond the scope of this conversation, but there, I think your point is really well taken. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal the other day about how military veterans are becoming a very hot commodity in the employment market because they're plug and play when it comes to these soft touch, hierarchical leadership 
qualities that this is what the military does, right? They don't do a lot of things very well, but this is one that they do really well. And it seems like a lack of civic infrastructure otherwise in our society today that helps prepare people to be leaders. Frankly, there aren't a lot of opportunities, it seems. And this is one of the vestiges that's still left. And it makes a lot of sense to me that these people would be really sought after considering their abilities to both function as a leader, but also understand where they fall within a larger organization. Because it seems like we've really lost that in a lot of other civic organizations or professional organizations. Yeah, one of the powerful starting points to everything that you're talking about, Brian, is, and this is so important, is the idea that we can help build awareness in the the next generation for where they're currently. And so whether they're in, in a leadership role, uh, one of the things that we like to do, we use 360 tool to create uh, multi-directional feedback. And, and we involve outside family members with that as well. Or family members who may not be working in a business, but are owners. We bring them in alongside that. We have them participate. Well, huge eye-opener, especially when it's an outside, we'll say an outside consultant that you might have that's guiding and facilitating that conversation. Huge eye-opener. The other piece that we spend a lot of time on, and it's one of the most Let's say the most engaging things that we do, organizations love it and families love it, is we unpack and explore four different communications. And we create some real fun, engaging exercises to not only help us as multi-generational leaders know our communications, but they help us know the ones those around and how we can begin to adapt and adjust our style ever so slightly to the kinds of communication that people around us need. And so whether it be our children, whether it be the people we lead at work, there's a whole person aspect of this is professional and personal. And it goes so far. We've had people go through this communication styles training and they'll come up to me and they'll say, oh my gosh. I need to have my significant other pick this. I now know where our communication gaps are, or I, I now I know what the problem has been. And I think if I understand his or her style better, I can adjust mine to be a little bit more powerful in our communication because we all have a native language. And a lot of times we'll say, I hope that this, right? They didn't hear me correctly, right? Hearing that up listening, most of the time it's when I'm speaking their language. And so we spend a lot of time on that in families and organizations because of this exact reason that you're bringing up. The soft skill side is not something that's involved. There's no time spent as we, as we grow up. And it's one of the areas that's the last that developed, quite frankly, what made the executive coaching industry what it is today. Yeah. And I talk about this on the show a lot, but I think an increasingly big challenge is the fact that people are living so much longer and working so much longer that now you're stepping into a family business where you might have five generations working alongside one another. And obviously the way you speak to your, you, the way you communicate with your 80-year-old colleague is going to be a lot different than your 25-year-old colleague. And if you're in the middle, if you're middle management 
or upper middle management transitioning into a leadership role, you've got to be able to shoot people a note on Slack, a DM on Instagram, and then also probably print out an email and give it to somebody in their office. And that's just really hard to build that skill set unless you're living in it for a long time and spend the time to understand how these different people digest information. It's so true, Brian. And the words we use and the tone in which we, we choose to have can make all the difference in whether the message gets through or not. And a lot of times when we're in person, and we're using all those tools, we lose our body language, which is our most powerful communicator. And it's just, it's just a great topic because it speaks so much to what culture is, right? And, and how we intentionally create culture every day, every, every choice we make, how we communicate, how we relate to people really shows up in both our family culture and our organization's culture. So it, it but it's a great opportunity for families and organizations thinking about what are these things? How do we want to shape? How do we have forward? How do we want to intentionally put together a culture that people want to be a part of, that they love to be a part of? So as, as we close out the conversation, it's been great. And you have a wonderful energy about you. I'm sure people love working with you especially with your lived experience. I think we use these terms and then people listen to this conversation. They say, oh, I need to work on culture. Like I need to work on communication. I need to have purpose and value. But then they go into their email the next three hours later, they're like, oh, I've got to go do this next thing. So if you were to, if you're listening to this and you're a family business owner or a family office and you want to engage somebody like you or you want to go and do this work and you finally come to the conclusion, we need a third-party professional facilitator here, how do you go about finding the right person? And then what are the questions that you need to ask to make sure that you're engaging with the right professional that could do this work? Yeah, I think most, so one, the family office side, um, very interesting, uh, incredibly fast-grown space. And a lot of families that I work with have family offices. And family offices provide so much in terms of bringing together all of those important areas, estate planning, tax planning, financial planning. Oftentimes, where I see families struggle so much and why family offices is families are typically dealing with advisors who are spread out all over the place. And their biggest biggest challenge is trying to connect all those advisor conversations. And in the midst of connecting them, they leave details unwound. They've got people that don't know them intimately and know them well. And before they know it, they've constructed something that causes conflict in the family. And then it's got to be unwound in it. And so I love the idea of the family office being a single source of truth and one, one where there's all this formation. What's great then is we come alongside family offices a lot of times and we can be the family voice in the advisor puzzle. So whether it be from a business strategy perspective, whether it be from a culture building perspective, I think or family offices, having somebody who does what we do or could be somebody else 
who understands how to navigate and keep family culture cultivated, cultivating that culture and, and moving them forward and be a voice for the family through the important decision-making that they have together. I think it's really important. So understanding their background, the experience that they might have working with large multi-generational families that have gone, let's just say families that have moved past Past the third generation, there are some that are fourth gen. There's a sixth family that we work with. It's 142 hours large. And so you can imagine what it's like to herd 142 family members in, in a multiple, multiple generations like that. And then on the organizational side, understanding whether or not a consultant or, or an advisor has spend significant time in strategy, understanding strategy, and how to get an organization, in particular, how to move an organizational leadership team, facilitate them through a conversation on strategy and the choices that the organization needs to make. A lot of times we think strategy is just putting together an action plan for next year. It's the furthest thing from that we really try to separate strategy and planning. Those are two different activities. Strategy is really about making choices for where you want to go long term as an organization. And then the plan is really an instruction manual to really support those things moving forward. So when we separate those and facilitate organizations, they get, up, they get more clear and more aligned about what their strategy actually is. Nine times out of 10, we're asked them, what is your strategy? The answer is back to what you said earlier, blank stares. They haven't discussed, they don't understand what their strategy is other than we have a goal this year to grow sales by X, right? So it's one of the, one of the important distinctions as we work with advisors is that they're not just facilitating you through creating a strategy and putting together values right, for the organization, putting together a mission statement, that they understand where it is you want to go long-term and can help you facilitate through those important conversations. You can build the kind of culture that can support your strategy for years to come. Todd, I want to thank you so much for coming on. It's been tremendous. You're very thoughtful, and the website is terrific in terms of the content and some of the stats. So I definitely encourage people to connect with you. If folks want to learn more about the work you do and check out the services that you all provide, what's the best way for them to learn more? Uh, certainly hop on the website. I know you'll have some of those links here to share. We do work in the business and we do work in and with the family and we do both. And so we spend a lot of time in both of those areas. The best way to get me is Todd. T-O-D at circlemakers.co. It's all in word, exactly how it sounds, and it finishes with a dot co, C-O. And I am available for, we'll call it easy introduction calls where we just um, get together and chat. I'm a sounding board for some, and it's a great way to start and explore what, what kinds of goals and challenges clients have and where we can come alongside in the surf. That's terrific. And please do, for all of our listeners, leave us a review and a rating. Let us know your favorite part of the conversation with Todd. 
Todd, a question we ask folks to come on the show. Do you have a daily practice that helps bring peace to your life? Ah, yes. One of the things I really believe in, we have raised our family on um, Christian faith and Christian values. And not only does my routine start with daily prayer, but the time that we spend together with our family at the end of the day around the dinner table is the time that brings us the most peace. It gives us a reminder about why we do what we do every day and gives us purpose and helps us restore and refresh our values. And so that's we I would say, working it out, but that has become very laborious lately. It's a lot of our joy can be found around the dinner table. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing. And Todd, thank you again for coming on the show. We'll include all those links and I definitely encourage people to go check out the work that you're doing. Keep it up. Thank you for joining us for today's conversation on the Capital Club podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to like, rate, and leave us a review. And please follow us on your favorite streaming platform so you never miss an episode. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.